Well, all right. That was an interesting evening. UFC 269 went down Saturday, December 11th from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. The event was headlined by UFC lightweight champion Charles Oliveira, who defended his gold against interim lightweight champion Dustin Poirier. And uh, Oliveira cashed a plus-120 underdog, submitting Poirier early in the third round. But the actual story of this card, in my opinion, the co-main event saw UFC women's bantamweight champion and, you know, the female GOAT, uh, two-division champion Amanda Nunes, losing to Juliana Pena, who picked up the second-round submission victory over Amanda Nunes, cashing as the 7-1 to one underdog. And uh, it it was a historic card, and because it was such a historic card, I thought we should do a historic post show with myself, with uh, Liam, and Lucky Locks picks. Uh, follow us on uh, the, the the various social channels below here, and uh, yeah, unbelievable night, Liam. What did you think uh, j- to start off the night? How how did you do? And, uh, you know, just give me an overview of, of you know, just a super historic <laughs> upset uh, with uh, Pena. And w- one of those things, we didn't talk about that fight at all. It was almost a, it, I thought it was going to honestly be a non-event. And then when I got to the betting board, uh, I had some money on the over and we'll talk about it. But uh, what did you think about the, the card in general and Pena pulling off the upset? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, I saw something from the UFC right after it was like, you're going to be asked a lot of times in the future, where were you on this night when, you know, and I was just sitting there in the uh, Buffalo Wild Wings going, are you effing kidding me? I, I thought it was a little bit uh, of a stunt performance from Amanda Nunes, if I'm being honest with you. I, I thought that, um, you know, I had a read going into this fight that Amanda was going to be the better grappler. I kind of thought that that was borne out through one round. Uh, but what we saw was that Amanda didn't have the greatest cardio, uh, didn't have the greatest preparation. Honestly, the fight IQ left something to be desired tonight as well. Just exchanging really recklessly in the pocket. I thought that the writing was on the wall a little bit in round one. She did not look crisp on the feet at all, in my view. Um, was walking onto Juliana's punches. Also, just got to give credit. I think Valley Flow striking uh, or wherever she trained uh, for this fight is – due for a lot of credit. Her striking has never looked that good uh, on the Pena side. I thought she showed some improvements there. So overall, I was impressed. Um, I did not have money on Pena. Could have been an insanely good night for me, honestly, if Nunes came through, if Nunes' submission came through. Um, had some degenerate pokes on on uh, the submission for both uh, Brazilians in the main event and the co-main event. And so, you know, that would have been a nice way to end out the evening. But either way, man, I thought that it was a great event. Um, I thought it was a, a great win for Pena. Just got to give her the credit that she called her shot. She won the fight how she was supposed to. Um, I don't think she's a better grappler. You know, I think she just outlasted her opponent here uh, with toughness and heart and durability. So all credit to her. But, uh, you know, I'm still not sold on her skill set overall. She's just a dog. Yeah, um, just just crazy. Overall, uh, how did you do betting-wise tonight, Liam? So uh, got back on track tonight. I was very excited. Uh, plus 8.61 units tonight um, for me. And, you know, going into that uh, main event, it was, you know, right on the edge. It was like a break-even type of night. 
uh, and Charles Oliveira came through for me in a big way. So uh, happy to get the big win and back on track and ready to get going again for next week, man. Cool. Uh, Lucky Locks, you haven't been on for a while. Well, we haven't. Been, I haven't been doing this for a while, but you weren't on last week. So uh, how, how did you do for uh, this event? Uh, yeah, this event was, I didn't have a huge slate here. Um, I came away with 1.1 units, so not the biggest night ever, but we didn't nice. give anything back and we made a little bit of profit. I'm certainly not going to sit here and complain about a winning night. So uh, yeah, I don't have any complaints. Yeah, I did have a, a losing night, but it, the, the small victories that I can get out of this, because I was just, it was almost a bloodbath, but I had the over in uh, the Nunez Pena fight, which came through over one and a half rounds came through. And then I had uh, Oliveira plus money in the under. So if those, you know, if Oliveira, if Oliveira didn't win, uh, it would have been a rough night. But yeah, the, the underdog won half of the fights on the card tonight. If you bet the underdog in every single fight, a hundred dollar better would have walked away with a thousand and seven dollars tonight. So uh, the underdog ends twenty twenty one on from a pay per view standpoint with uh, big numbers. So yeah, that was uh, basically you know there was stoppages in nine of the fourteen fights and coin flip. There were seven coin flip fights, so half of the fights on the board. Uh, saw a favorite of minus 150 or better, and the dog came through in five of those seven fights. So, uh, yeah. The first one, though, the favorite didn't co come through in this one. Uh, Sean O'Malley comes through as the minus 290 betting favorite. First round TKO over Raleigh and Pava. Uh, O'Malley by TKO cashes at plus 120. Inside the distance, plus 110. Uh, the under two and a half rounds came through at minus 115. And fight goes the distance, no, minus 150. Uh, Lucky Locks, did you have anything on this one? What did you think? I had nothing on this fight, but I thought O'Malley looked great. Um, I think the guy's for real. I know that a lot of people don't want to hear that. Um, I think his striking is, is excellent. It's almost like the cliche to say that Sean O'Malley has slick striking. He's so slick. Everybody says that. But, you know, it's true. Um, and he lands at a very high percentage. I believe his striking accuracy is like, over 60% in the UFC. He's also really damn hard to hit. I mean, he can fight off his back foot pretty well. He's got great footwork, gets to his spots. He likes to keep the distance with that front kick and just super tall and long for the weight class. I mean, Al, you were saying before uh, off camera that you feel like he uh, might be a little taller than what they list him at, right? So uh, he definitely looks tall. He looks super long. I think he has, you know, pretty underrated jujitsu. We pretty much never see it, but uh, he's a brown belt, I believe. And uh, yeah, Paiva only landed 23% of his strikes in this match. I mean, O'Malley's just a hard guy to hit. I, I kind of like the guy. Um, I really like to watch him fight. I think a lot of the uh, the trolling stuff is actually pretty funny most of the time. People get pretty upset, which kind of makes it even a little bit funnier uh, to me. And yeah, I don't think O'Malley really looked like he was in danger at all in this one. And I think that he is a legit top 15 guy um, in the most stacked division in the UFC, in my opinion. And I'm not saying he's going to be champ or he's going to wax everybody in the top 10 or anything like that. But I think, could he be in the title conversation one day? Absolutely. Um, and the guy clearly is a big draw. I mean, all my friends that uh, don't watch MMA were texting me today, asked me when O'Malley's fighting. They want to watch the fight. So, uh, yeah, it was a good fight. It was it was a good watch. It was entertaining. And uh, I thought O'Malley looked really good. And this sets him up for uh, even more momentum and uh, to do even more in the future. So I'm excited to see kind of who they're going to give him next. Al, I know you mentioned Pedro Munoz off camera, and I think that would be a cool matchup to see and a lot of different things they could do with him. So I'm interested kind of to see the direction that they choose to go here. 
Yeah, I think Munoz, uh, Munoz is a good one. Uh, Liam, I think that this for us, uh, at least for me, uh, is me overrating Pava and underrating O'Malley. What did you think about this fight, and did you have anything on it? Yeah, man. So I did end up getting to the window with a with a Pava bet uh, for one unit, and you know, do I feel good about the bet? No. Do I hate the bet? I honestly would say no. You know, I feel like O'Malley maximized his win condition here. Uh, not to say he couldn't have picked him apart for the whole 15 minutes, but my bet was like predicated on Paiva taking over the fight as it went on. You know, I kind of thought he was going to have a rough first round. O'Malley's very accurate. Paiva is like recklessly come forward in his offense. Uh, and I thought that over the course of the fight, that would bother O'Malley. You know, he likes to get off early in his fights and have a lot of success. And I thought that, you know, he just did tonight. And so I didn't get uh, to see, you know, some of the elements of his game I wanted to see tested, tested here. Uh, so Piva is not the right guy, obviously. Um, but I do think that, you know, I'm not going to be sold on O'Malley at a similar price against somebody that could wrestle, somebody that could grapple, somebody that could answer some of these shots on the feet. You know, I think he has had a little bit of a softer run through the UFC. I'm impressed with how he dealt with Paiva tonight. I don't think Paiva's a bad fighter, but he is like a 500 UFC fighter. I just thought that he was like one of the tougher guys that O'Malley had been matched up with. And so O'Malley, you know, shows to me a little bit better power than I thought he was going to have tonight. But outside of that, you know, everything was on point from him. Shot selection was good really nice finishing sequence against the cage. Uh, so nothing to complain about, but I thought he did a lot of what I knew he could do. Uh, I'd like to see more from his game and a little bit later, uh, you know, maybe a three to five round fight from him uh, is important in his development, I think. So let's see what's next for Sean, but impressive win for him. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I would say that I'm definitely, I've been like a doubter of this guy from the very beginning. And I definitely have to say that tonight, kind of you know skewed those doubts a little bit but just uh, you know to be critical of Pava he looked he looked off tonight compared to other nights uh him leaving his hands down against a guy like O'Malley just right off the hop is a bad move because O'Malley was so fast and then especially straight up the middle he was eating that jab straight up the middle and yeah we talked about it off camera O'Malley's so tall for the division he claims to be 5'11", but I think for sure he's six feet tall. And uh, I didn't think that Pava is going to be easily easily dropped. Uh, I thought he had a, was going to have a bit more of a chin on him. I guess that may be more of an indictment of Kyler Phillips. And yeah, I think uh, one thing that we didn't mention, uh, O'Malley definitely has gotten better at finishing once he notices that his opponent is hurt. Uh, he wasn't just winging shots. He started changing it up and going to the body and then switching, going straight up the middle underneath. Uh, I think really nice performance. I thought Pava was going to have a little bit more in him, and uh, I was wrong, and it is what it is. If people if people want to relish over O'Malley you know, fighting unranked bantamweights on the opening of uh, every pay-per-view, I think that's all right. I'm cool with it because this was entertaining. It was a cool finish. And I think that if we keep, you know, this is how they're doing like the Bellator route with uh, with O'Malley. And I think, you know, th I think that's a good thing. But uh, yeah, as far as matches go, I would say possibly Song Dong 
And if not, Pedro Munoz might honestly be too much of a step up because he's he's a top ten guy right now. Even this loss against Cruz, I think he would still be a um, top ten at the very least. So I don't, I think that might he might be too much of a step up. I think Song Yudong uh, might be a good one, or you could potentially do Frankie Edgar. But Frankie's had a rough go, so I don't know. Frankie Edgar might want to have a win. Uh, yeah, that one was interesting, but you know, not the, you know, as far as the fireworks go and as far as underdogs go, uh, the the next fight, Kai Kara France uh, defeated Cody Garbrandt, first round TKO, cashes on at plus one thirty on the money line, plus three forty by TKO. Inside the distance, three to one odds. The under two and a half rounds cashed at minus one ten. Fight goes the distance, no at minus one forty five. And uh, yeah, uh, lucky locks. Did you have anything on this one? What did you think about this one? So my initial read on this was Kai Care Friends KO, but I, I just couldn't get to the window on it. And I wish I did because the fight looked a lot kind of like what I thought it was going to look like. Obviously, I'm not going to gloat. I didn't put my money where my mouth is, so uh, can't can't brag or anything like that. But uh, I honestly didn't think Cody was a bad bet when the line kept coming down, but I just, you know, I, I can't lay chalk on Cody Garbrandt, especially in a new weight class and especially in a lower weight class. Um, I don't really think that highly of Kai Car France in general. I mean, I don't think he's one of the better guys in the flyweight top 10. I feel like there's a bunch of guys ranked behind him that I would actually pick to beat him. Um, I definitely don't think he should get a title shot after this, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a good performance for him and he did what he had to do. Uh, definitely. I think it was a good bet for everyone that, uh, that, that bet Kai Car France here. I think it was a sharp spot. Um, but yeah, tough for Cody, man. Unfortunately, uh, the thing is, if you can't take a punch, you can't win the fight. Everything else just goes out the window if your chin's not there. And uh, he's one in five. And in, in his last six, he's been KO'd four times. And I don't really know what's next for him. I mean, he has enough name value to continue on, but who knows? I mean, he's going to kind of have to take a, a hard look at, at what he really wants. And I'm sure that the UFC is going to be taking a hard look at what they really want to get out of Cody Garbrandt going forward as well. But uh, good performance for Kai Car France. Don't want to take anything away from him there. And uh, good bet for everybody that was on that side. Yeah, I was definitely on that side. This is one of my very few uh, high spots. And uh, with the win, Kai Car France, he improves to 6-2 and two since coming into the UFC in 2018. And he's only turned a profit of like 1.75 units on the money line in that stretch. So even with this big underdog win, he's kind of he's come in as a massive favorite in a lot of fights. Uh, so yeah, big win, Liam. Uh, we talked about this one. I was pretty adamant on it. And uh, what did you think about this one? Yeah, and so uh, my regret here was that I wasn't uh, in range to legally bet on that uh, line at plus one fifty while we were talking about it uh, because I thought that uh, Kai Car France at plus one fifty was a great spot. Um, you know, by the time I had taped the fight in full and was ready to drive to Jersey, get my bets in, uh, you know, I just, I didn't want to get in when the line movement had already gone so far against me. You know, there had already been a, a pretty big adjustment on that side. And I saw that they were hanging plus 360, Kai Car France to win by KO, TKO on FanDuel. So that's where I got involved on this fight. Um, thought that that was a pretty good spot. You know, my prediction going in was Garbrandt to win a decision here. And I thought that if he was able to survive over the course of 15 minutes, uh, you know, he did have faster hands. It looked like to me, 
but he was getting backed up a lot. His lateral movement wasn't saving him. He couldn't get his back off the fence. And, you know, like Lucky mentioned, if you can't take a punch, you can't win a fight. It's very tough. Uh, and so I just felt like it's an auto bet on the KO line for somebody dropping down uh, 10 pounds from 35 to 25. Very hard cut to make, um, especially – you know, Cody did not look like a small man. And on top of that, if you have durability concerns about somebody, uh, taking a ton of water out of your body is not an answer uh, to a durability problem. Um, it, it can only exacerbate it. So wanted to get involved on in the KO line. My regret is that I didn't go bigger. My regret is that I wasn't, um, you know, looking at the lines ahead of time and getting involved in that Kaikara France, uh, you know, money line underdog bet at plus 150. I feel like that was a great spot. Uh, salute everybody who got it and great read by you as well there out yeah it you know flyweight uh this does not happen in flyweight very often uh kai Kara france is just the 12th underdog at flyweight since 2020 to come through and just the 19th since 2019 and uh i yeah it's for me i had a feeling this is going to happen just because cody dropping to flyweight and doing so kind of rushing into it. I thought he should have taken like a year off before moving down and he looked okay as far as like technique goes. But uh, yeah, he even did a good job actually of getting back into the fight after getting dropped the first time. I think that this is equal parts Kai Kara France uh, having just a really good night that just with precision and accuracy and Cody's lack of chin dropping down to 125. Uh, so, yeah, this was one of the few high points for me. I wish I put more money down on Kai Kara France uh, as I did. You know, I kind of I I, I I was more staunch just in my word than I was with my wallet uh, and going out on a limb uh, saying he was going to go and get the get the win. Um, is Kai Kara France going to get a, a title shot after this? I don't think so. And I think that that's kind of ridiculous. And also like Dana White, he said, Kai Kara France said that he won't fight until his next fight is for a title shot. And you never, ever, ever want to say that in the UFC because if you wait out fights. He's if, fighting in Bellator next then. That's yeah, you're, you'll be fighting. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing I will say, I, DC mentioned uh, Kai Kara France fighting Manel Cape. And first of all, that's just ridiculous because Kai Kara France is, uh, you know, up there in the rankings and Manel Cape still hasn't, I don't even think he has a win over a ranked fighter in flyweight. So what they should do is feed Cody Garbrandt to Manel Cape. Because I think that that would be a decent fight, and maybe Manel Cape can get a a win. Uh, but besides that, I don't really know what Cody Garbrandt's going to do. I, he he's got name value, but he's got to go back up to bantamweight because it's going to be it's going to be lights out. It's going to be lights out for him uh, if if he fights another guy. Like if I I feel like if he were to fight a guy like uh, Nicolau or Pantoja or something like that, he would get hurt. And, uh, yeah, the, again, I, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like th this might be a benefit to fade Kai Kara France uh, in the next fight. What do you think about that? Lucky Locks picks. I uh, fade Kai Kara France. I'm sold. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's just not a guy that I'm high on, like, at all, to be honest with you. Uh, 
Um, I feel like he's got a pretty good streak of good luck. And I mean, I'll give him credit. He looked great tonight. He had a great night, like as you mentioned. But uh, yeah, going forward, I mean, this guy's ranked number six in flyweight. And I just don't personally feel like he, he's on that level. There's a couple guys ranked behind him that I would feel pretty comfortable backing against him. Yeah, and he's had some... Uh... I I I recall he was like a minus three hundred favorite against Moreno and got stopped by Moreno. What do you think about that, Liam? Do you think, uh, um, <laughs> you know, what do you do? You think he's gonna get the title shot next? No, I don't think he's <laughs> gonna get the title shot next. Um, I think that it would be an undeserving title shot. Um, this was a good and critical, important win for his career. Um, for Kai Car France, obviously the biggest win of his career. And he delivered in a big spot, you know, opening up uh, like he came out the gates on fire, dialed in, ready to win that fight. And so you got to give him a lot of credit there. But you just got to temper expectations a little bit as well, um, because Kai Car France, he's kind of uh, I, I thought it was very predictable. The Roy Val fight, by example, Uh he kind of just gets a little bit overexcited and against somebody like Cody that, that paid off it paid dividends uh, today, but he's gotten excited in the same fashion and run into a spinning back elbow uh, and gotten knocked out or if not knocked out, he got submitted in that same fight because he was completely rocked. So I just feel like he's liable to make mistakes. Garbrandt just wasn't the guy to make him pay, uh, especially when he was already on shaky legs. Yeah, I think that this is going to be a, a a good spot to like, you know, just take advantage of. I feel like people are going to see, you know, the MMA casual betters are going to see Kai Kara France get this big win over a name like Cody Garbrandt. So we might be able to get a, you know, if if he were to, you know, fight fight a top top ten guy or sorry, top five guy, someone higher up in the rankings uh, at flyweight. Like I said, like a Pantoja or something like that, even an Asker Askarov, I believe maybe those guys have already fought, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm all on, you know, fading, uh, Kai Kara France who, who, yeah, you know, he definitely had a good, uh, a good showing tonight, but, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of like in this, what have you done for me lately business of betting? It's always good to, uh, you know, kind of go against the narrative like like we did here because I thought, again, I, I have no idea why Cody Garbrandt was the favorite here. You know, as far as a, a, like a true betting line, Cody should have been the underdog, right? Like that's, you know, that that's just how I feel. But yeah, talking about, uh, speaking about having a good showing, Jeff Neal came through uh as a plus 115 underdog via decision over Santiago Ponzinibbio. He cashed at six to one odds uh, to win by decision over two and a half rounds, cashed at plus 105. Fight goes the distance, yes, cashed at plus 150. Uh, Neil improves now to seven and two since his 2017 Dana White's Contender Series debut. He's cashed for 2.35 units on the money line in that stretch. Uh, lucky Locks. Uh, did you have anything on this one? What did you think about this fight? 
Yeah, I didn't have anything here. Um, but I like Neil before we, you know, the DWI firearm thing obviously threw me off. But I felt like outside of that, it was a good matchup for him. I mean, he's got a guy that it's, it's not Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He doesn't have crazy, crazy movement. And he's not super, super hard to hit. And Hans Nibio does come to bang. And I mean, I just felt like it was kind of a bread and butter kind of fight for Neil. I didn't feel like he was a lock or anything like that. I mean, I felt like there was going to be some heavy exchanges. But in terms of recent matchups for uh, Jeff Neal, I thought that this was a lot better than some of the fights that he's been in. And recently, I mean, the first round was competitive. I thought Neil landed the, the heavier and more damaging strikes. And he looked good. I mean, he looked like Jeff Neal there where he kind of hasn't. He's been a little hesitant uh, in, in some of his past fights. And second round, I thought Ponzinibbio looked pretty good. He turned up the heat a little bit. And third round, Neil really pulled ahead. Um, that was the best round. He looked great there. I thought that he really turned up the pressure when he needed to, uh, really turned up the volume and just got even better as the round wore on. And I think that that round was probably the best I've seen Jeff Neal look in recent memory. And I'm happy to see him get back on track, you know, a little bit of adversity this week for him as well. So nice to see the guy get a win. Um, yeah, I'm happy for him. It was a good fight. It was fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was like almost as if Je Jeff Neal was just getting picking up momentum as the fight was going on because I feel like Ponzinibbio kind of getting his foot in the door early and then Jeff Neal kind of answering back, answering back to the point where the pendulum kind of swung and he started to take over. Uh, Liam, did you have anything on this one? What did you think about this fight? Yeah, I had a bet on Ponsonibio um, that I regretted before fight time had even come to pass. You know, I kind of um, bought in quick. I heard the narrative. I'm like, ah, DUI. I've already been, you know, making money fading Jeff Neal. Uh, in, in the past couple fights, so I'm like, all right, doesn't seem like he's taking this all that serious. Um, Pons, I didn't think he looked lights out against Baeza, but I thought I saw enough fire there um, to think that with the skill set, with the style matchup, with some problems on the Neil side, it would be enough for him to get the win. And I also thought Neil was a little bit low volume, a little bit inactive, uh, and that it was going to cost him here if the fight went to decision. So I put a small live hedge play on, on Neil to win by KO because I was sitting on the, the play on the Ponzinibbio money line. So I ended up getting nothing uh, instead, which is unfortunate. But also it was a small bet all around, 1.2 units on Ponzinibbio minus 120. Uh, the line wasn't great either. So just all around a regrettable bet for me on an otherwise pretty good slate of bets. Um, but I will say Ponzinibbio tried to fight for my money. You know, he, he gave an honest account of himself. I thought it looked like an honest pick and fight, but I'm trying to extract value. I'm not trying to play into even betting markets. And so if you bet on a pick em at pick em price, uh, not going to win long term. So unfortunate one for me there uh, and a learning lesson. Yeah, it looked like, like I said, uh, Neil was getting most the better of the exchanges as the fight went on. Uh, but I feel like, like you just said, Ponzinibbio was doing a good job of getting Neil's timing down uh, early. One thing I want to talk about is uh, Saif Sahoud giving uh, what they, you know, what they were saying was a pep talk in between rounds, and I thought it was just, you know, it looked like it worked. But in my notes at the time, I thought it was just terrible corner work, yelling at his fighter, telling him that he thought that he won the second round while also yelling at him when he clearly didn't win the second round. And luckily, he came out and had a really good third round. Uh, and it, it was clearly what he wanted to hear. 
uh, luckily, you know, those guys clearly have a, a good relationship, but just at that point, it just sounded like, you know, that's not what, that's probably not the last thing that somebody that has bet on this guy wants to hear his trainer telling him, uh, telling him that he, he thought he won the second round when he clearly did not win that second round. Uh, but yeah, uh, Neil turned it around in the third round and started to really get Santiago off of his center and clogging up the lanes and started firing back. He worked that low kick really well uh, in the third round. And yeah, big third round basically won him the fight, especially in the later moments of the fight. Both of these guys, I haven't had good luck betting on Ponsonibio, and I really haven't had good luck betting on or against uh, Neil. The only thing that was good for me in this fight was I had the over, over two and a half rounds cashed at uh, plus money. But besides that, uh, yeah, I had Ponzinibbio as well. And I don't even think that he fought a bad fight. It was just pretty frustrating. Uh, Jeff Neal showed kind of, he just went uh, beyond expectations. Uh, speaking of going beyond expectations, uh, some people have called it. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe we can talk about it. They've, you know, they've called it the the one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. Uh, I, I feel like I've seen bigger, but uh, Juliana Pena defeats Amanda Nunes, cashes at seven to one odds via second round submission, rear naked choke. She cashed at plus 2,500 to win by submission, plus 1,650 to win inside the distance, uh, under two and a half rounds, cashed at uh, minus 150. Fight goes a distance, no, cashed at minus 400. Pena now improves to six and two since her 2013 UFC debut, and she is now the women's bantamweight champion. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, you know, I guess as far as women's MMA, it's got to be, you know, it's got to be one of the biggest upsets in history. Uh, Lucky Locks, did you have anything on this one? What did you think about this fight? Yeah, I'm just realizing how much my action was on the prelims. I, I didn't have anything uh, <laughs> on this one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I wanted Pena to win. Did I think it was going to happen? Hell no. But uh, here we are, man. I mean, I'm sure I'm not in the minority for, uh, for thinking that. Uh, personally, I've never been all over the... Nunez like greatest goat all this stuff I mean I've always kind of been of the opinion that Valentina would would probably beat her if they you know were the same size or even maybe a little closer in size um I mean the commentary was basically calling Amanda like the greatest athlete on the face of the earth when like, <laughs> she was walking out I was like what? but anyways I you know I won't get into that my eyes were rolling in the back of my head but uh I'm, I don't want to come off as one of those guys that's like oh man only has like she just spams the overhand right blah 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 like obviously she's very very skilled um, but yeah, I mean, Liam kind of alluded to this earlier uh, at the very start of the show. Like he's kind of saying the writing's on the wall a little bit. Uh, I mean, Nunez, like they're exchanging punches and like this isn't supposed to happen. I mean, like Pena's not supposed to be still in there with you banging it out. Uh, Nunez, I didn't think she looked all that great on the feet in round one. Obviously got the takedown, good control, clear Nunez round. But round two, Pena just stepped into the fire and really put it on her, like stood in the pocket, banged it out. It was unbelievable. And this honestly was a fight that, I wasn't really looking forward to that much just because I felt like it wasn't going to be a great scrap, but boy, was I wrong. Like my blood was pumping during that one. Uh, I was yelling at my screen for uh, Pena to keep going. I thought it was an awesome performance and she started landing. Nunez was looking labored. She was looking tired and she just kind of looked like she was losing hope a little bit. She was feeling like this, you know, this isn't supposed to happen. You know, uh, 
I'm not supposed to be in this position. And uh, I'd probably still go Amanda if they run it back. I think a couple adjustments and, and she probably wins this one and maybe not even anything big, just a little bit, something mental, just a mindset adjustment could be all she needs. But uh, awesome performance from Pena. And obviously I don't want to take anything away. Uh, I was happy to see it. I had no money there, so I couldn't uh, really be too upset with the result. And, and it was honestly really fun, a fight that I didn't, think was going to deliver that much ended up being one of the ones that delivered the most for me uh entertainment wise so uh yeah it was a great fight i thought yeah as far as like a fight that i was looking forward to this was i had zero expectations of this fight i thought this fight was going to be a complete non-event to be completely honest uh yeah liam did you have anything on this what did you think about this fight uh I think it's Chael Sonnen that says it's not, you know, just a hard fight that's going to get you. You know, if you're ready for a hard fight, a hard fight is just part of the business. But it's the fight that you don't think is going to be hard, that turns out to be hard, that makes you just completely fall apart mentally. And and it's a very true phenomenon. I think on top of that, uh, I, I think Amanda's done um, at a competitive standpoint here. Fire didn't, didn't seem to be there. Um, too happy to be there. Big smile on her face, you know, and, and that's all fine and dandy. Uh, if it's like a violent smile, you know, if it's like a, and we're here to hurt people smile. It was like a, I'm happy to be here smile. And uh, that to me is just the wrong um, fire for a cage fighter. It's possible that the sting of defeat will, will bring her back here, but she made it already. She already won. Um, She's done with life, you know, and in a lot of ways, that's my regret um, in my read on this fight is that uh, shouldn't have had confidence in her to still have any fire in the spot. With that being said, you know, I, I really don't hate my read on this fight, even retrospectively, which is that I thought Amanda was the better grappler. Um, and so I thought she was going to engage in a lot of grappling here at the behest of Pena and come out on top in those exchanges. I thought, broadly speaking, she was doing that in the first round. Um but overall, Pena was the one who had better conditioning, who was better prepared, better poised in the moment, ends up getting the finish. It was really impressive stuff. I was at a Buffalo Wild Wings where everybody was going absolutely bananas. Uh, and so I was happy for everybody. I'm sure a lot of people made a lot of money on that fight. Um, you know, it didn't cost me a ton of money. I had a couple parlays, um, you know, crash on that. But uh, it cost me a lot in potential winnings, let's say. Um but I just thought overall it was kind of a stunt performance and, and maybe indicates that Amanda's not um, not long for the sport. You know, I think maybe she does the rematch and if it goes poorly, she rides off into the sunset. And, you know, Juliana Pena, she's going to have the same motivation next time, which is like, you don't really do it until you do it twice. Whereas Amanda's going to come in like, ah, do I really want to even do this anymore? And she beat me up last time. It was pretty embarrassing. Like, I just feel like all the mental aspects of that fight would be wrong for a rematch. Um, but again, let, let's see what Amanda has to say about it. Um, Got to let this one sink in a little bit. Really devastating result for her. But glorious for Juliana Pena. The thrill and the agony is like the best marketing tool the UFC has ever come up with. Um, it's it's just the, the God's honest truth about the fight game. And uh, what a win for Juliana Pena. But... I just I, I couldn't believe my eyes. I thought that uh, that was a real underperformance from Nunes. Yeah, it was uh, just unbelievable. I thought uh, it was a huge win 
for Pena uh, just surviving on the ground at the very beginning of the fight uh, in the first opening minutes of uh, the first round. She did a good job early of surviving those early submission attempts from Amanda. And I feel like Pena felt her power and was just like, you know, his, uh, just like how she said in, in all the promos that she showed, uh, that they showed, you know, uh, other girls are, you know, other girls are already defeated when they step in there and they're scared of her and they're scared of, you know, the myth or, you know, the legend of Amanda Nunes' power. And once you feel that power and you think that you can take it, you just start walking forward. I think that uh, uh, Juliana just started walking forward and just <laughs> literally started leading with her face. And like I said off camera, she was playing, she was doing the rope-a-dope, but without the blocking. And she just started answering back and moving forward. And uh, yeah, I was super surprised how fast Amanda tapped and there was no hooks in. And it was just that was clear that it was just more of exhaustion and more of just like mental defeat and kind of panic. Um, one thing that I will say, there was almost a look of relief on Amanda Nunes's face uh, when Juliana Pena was announced the winner, like almost like you she just got all of this off her shoulder. And uh, I remember a similar thing with Devison Figueredo when he lost to Brendan Moreno. And I don't know if that if that might be, if that's a similar type thing, I know it's way more to a, a a bigger extent with Amanda because she was, you know, hadn't had a loss in you know years and years. Uh, but I also think it has to do with the weight cut and being able to be like, I don't have to do this anymore, you know. And now they can't force me to do this anymore. I lost a fight, I dropped the belt. I don't have to do this anymore. Uh, one thing I will say, Liam, uh, we saw a huge fluke. We saw a massive fluke with uh, Sergio Pettis uh, over Horiguchi last weekend. Would you consider this to be a fluke? Is this a fluke? No. And that's no. the saddest part of it all, dude. It wasn't even a fluke, I don't think. Um, I think that, you know, if they run this match back again, yeah, I would have to bet on, on Juliana. She's an underdog. Uh, going into the next fight. And, and the reason being is simple. Like, I, I felt like this was, it looked like the Jan Blahovich result as well, where somebody just concedes and like mentally shows that sign of defeat. I, I don't like to see that um, from a fighter. Uh, I thought it was like a really concerning sign from Amanda. Um, no fight on the choke. You know, think about Michael Bisping and George St. Pierre. Michael Bisping goes to sleep fighting the hands blood strickling out of his face. That's the guy I want to bet on. And that's, and by the way, that's late stage Michael Bisping. So it's like, there are certain fighters that are going to give everything they have for it. And there's certain fighters that simply won't. And Amanda showed me tonight that when she's got things going well, she's an absolute hammer. But when it starts to go poorly, even for, I don't know, three minutes, she could just check out mentally from the, from the fight. Uh, so yeah, it can't, can't bet on Amanda at, at big chalk anymore. Um, uh, unless she's fighting a new opponent, then I'll reconsider. But uh, not not against this girl. This girl is an effing marauder uh, who's not afraid of her own physical health and safety. Uh, I do think she still makes the same mistakes in the grappling. My read on this fight was she was going to put her head in the hole on a guillotine and get submitted. And uh, that was pretty close to playing out in the first round. But 
Amanda didn't seem like she's going to push a grappling heavy game plan. You know, she didn't come back out and shoot relentless takedowns in round two to get it back uh, to a positive position. She's instead swanging and banging on the feet. Like it was her first day in the gym. It was, it was insane. Yeah. Um, you, you reminded me of something and, and I, I noticed this with boxing and I noticed it even more with MMA when underdogs win and they have a rematch and the, you know, the, the fighter who won is the underdog again. That mostly always goes to the underdog the second time. Uh, I, I know with Moreno, it was similar to that. I Tyson Fury, similar to that. I don't know what it is, but most all the time when these underdogs come in, if these, I guess with both of those that I just said, there was the draw in the first fight. But uh, yeah, uh, Lucky Locks, I'll ask you, uh, is this a fluke? No, I'm going to have to agree with Liam. I, I really don't think it is. I mean, this wasn't like Amanda was just absolutely pounding the piss out of her. And then she just lands a, a crazy spinning back fist like we saw Sergio Pettis do. Like this was like, I mean, yeah, Amanda, she just didn't like it. She she got some resistance and really didn't like it. And uh, yeah, it's obviously going to make, I think, all of us pretty cautious about uh, placing another wager on her, especially. I think they put out odds, like just future event odds for uh this rematch, I guess, should it ever get booked? And Amanda Nunes was minus two fifty. I mean, I'm not lining up to to bang that line. That's for sure. I saw I saw minus three hundred. Yeah, and, so even, and I even mean, worse. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that reminds me of something. I wanted to mention this: the broadcast at the top of the broadcast, giving out favor uh, a, a chalk parlay, O'Malley Nunes uh, Poirier, and that stuff is so bothering to me. I, I just don't bet. Don't advertise. I mean, it's all good to, you know, have personal parlays and stuff like that and go for those long shots, but don't advertise stupid bets like that. <laughs> you know, even if it wins, it's it's just bad business. Like you're gonna lose money more times than not, and they're just like bet this parlay, and then <laughs> they show not to mention the guy who lost three hundred and thirty-six thousand dollars tonight betting on Amanda Nunes and they kick off the broadcast a bet that they advertised at the top of the pay-per-view just ridiculous stuff uh and not even him but the real loser of tonight Kayla Harrison because it looked like they were trying to set up you know this this super fight between Harrison and Nunes and now that's completely out the window now that fight has zero value in my opinion um, and literally, like Jermaine Durandamine, who's likely going to retire, has a has a win over the current champion Juliana Pena. Uh, so the <laughs> UFC bantamweight division just turned has just gone completely crazy. Uh, Liam, as far as uh, Nunez and Pena, do you have any final thoughts on uh, this before we move on to the main event? I was going to say just for Kayla Harrison's purposes, you know, I think this actually is like kind of a perfect outcome for her. Obviously this is out on the opportunity for the, the massive fight. Like you mentioned, however, Amanda's a friend, a training partner. Uh, so now she gets to avoid that roadblock. Juliana Pena, in my opinion, very winnable fight for Kayla Harrison. And then if she is able to win the title, I feel like the UFC would love to promote the next dominant champion that they could find for 35 um, so I, I think that it's much more likely somebody like Kayla Harrison could fill that role than somebody like Juliana Pena. I think 
if Juliana doesn't fight Amanda in her next fight and she is favored heavily, I will be considering a bet on the other side for sure. But I will also acknowledge, like, I, I, I did see notable striking improvements from Juliana Pena. And oh, yeah. I think those I, – I, man, I'm, I'm curious to see who all is training there because they've been turning out some, some pretty damn good fighters, uh, in my opinion. Chicago, stand up, baby. Yeah. Um, yeah, I will say, you know, I will say this. This loss tonight, though, I feel like makes us way more closer now to Harrison versus Cyborg than we ever were. Because now, you know, now there's more of an incentive of they can book that and market that as like, who is the true featherweight goat? You know, even though Amanda lost at bantamweight. But another thing that they could do, and I heard they, they asked uh, Juliana this twice, uh, you know, they could do the another super fight and, tr and try to make Juliana two-division champion while doing it and have Juliana move up to featherweight uh, and, you know, challenge Amanda in the rematch at 145. Uh, I know Juliana's she doesn't really have the frame for that. Uh, Lucky Locks, do you have any final thoughts before we move to the main event? I mean, I guess just to piggyback on Kayla Harrison, I mean, I was I was locked and loaded and ready to fire uh, on Kayla Harrison as an underdog if that Nunes fight ever got made. So I was a little bit bummed that it's a lot less likely to happen now. And if it does happen, I don't think the line will be quite as tilted as I was hoping it would be for that one. So, you know, we maybe we get it down the line, but I, we definitely won't get as good of a number on uh, Kayla as we probably would have if Amanda came through here. Yeah, and like Liam said, I guess, you know, as far as money-making goes, um, uh, Kayla lost tonight, but, you know, she definitely now has, you know, she's now still undefeated, and Amanda has been knocked off her throne. So, you know, there really is no reason for those two to fight now. Uh, they can definitely, you know, build up for Pena Harrison, which I think would be a wash, to be completely honest. But crazier things have happened, as, <laughs> as uh, you know, as, as evident as that is at UFC 269. Uh, so who knows? This just makes things, this is just wild. This is similar to, uh, you know, Andy Ruiz uh, winning the heavyweight championship. This is... As this is just wild, wild stuff. And I don't think, I got to say, I had not that much interest. I had really no interest in this fight coming into it. But I got to say, if they do fight again, I will be, you know, very interested in, in this rematch. And this is the type of thing that the UFC likes. Uh, if Nunes can come back and bounce back from this uh, and recapture the gold, it's good for them. And even if she loses, then you have an absolute superstar in Juliana Pena who knocked off Amanda Nunes twice. So it's really win-win for uh, the UFC uh, for this one. All right. So that brings us to the main event. And the main event was just unbelievable fight. My, my, you know, my personal pound for pound you know, fighter right now versus my all-time fighter, my all-time favorite fighter, and Charles Oliveira taking on Dustin Poirier. Oliveira gets it done. Uh, a submission victory, rear naked choke, cashing at plus 120 on the money line. Uh, three to one odds to win by submission, plus 187 
to win inside the distance. The under two and a half rounds cash at minus 110. Fight goes the distance. No, which took, you know, it looked like the yes took a ton of money because this fight goes the distance. No opened at like minus 400 and it closed at minus 260. So fight goes the distance. No, is actually a pretty valuable bet. And uh, with the win, Oliveira now improves to 10 and 0 since 2018 and $100 better who is back to Bronx on the inside the distance prop in that stretch has turned a profit of $828. Uh, Lucky locks. Uh, what did you have on this one? And uh, tell me what you thought about it. So finally I can say I did have something on this one. Uh, I had actually over one and a half in this fight. This opened on Betway at minus 138. I just thought that the price was a little weird. It was like minus 180 other places. So took a stab on that. I mean, with the way that we've seen these fights uh, in the main events, the five rounders hit the over lately. I thought, you know, we could probably trickle over one and a half rounds. And I was happy to get that one there. But yeah, man, what a fight. I mean, I feel like almost everyone in the community was on Charles as the dog here. And not often, you know, does the dog come through when it's like everybody's on that same play. So that was kind of cool to see. And and round one, I mean, Poirier was strong. The, the guy's big at 155. He hits really hard. There actually wasn't a huge disparity in volume between the two in that round, but obviously the heavier shots coming from Poirier, the knockdown, of course. Um, and yeah, like if I was a bookmaker in between rounds, I probably would have had had Poirier favor going into the next one. But little did Dustin know that you're actually supposed to knock Charles down in uh, round one. That's basically his secret to success. He just comes back and beats you later in the fight. Um, but yeah, Charles recovered really well. I thought he did well to kind of pull Dustin into the clinch, pull him close and minimize any excess damage when he started getting hit really hard. Um, clearly, he didn't really care that much about getting hit hard early. I was like, holy crap, he's uh, he's really going for it here. Um, but yeah, you, you just knew Charles wasn't out of it after round one. He comes back, really dominates the second round. Basically, had control time for the whole entire thing. And and round three, man, you just know Dustin's going to give up the back at some point. And that's the thing with Charles. Like, you know, at least once he's going to get at just a dangerous, really good position. And if you can get out of it, then it's probably going to be a little easier for the rest of the fight. But he really only needs that one chance most of the time. And that's all he needed this time. And um, I feel for Dustin, man. It's a tough loss for him, but I'm really happy to see Charles win. It's a fighter that I really like. Um, the fighter that I wanted to see win, I'll be honest. I wasn't even really on the Charles train for this one. I kind of thought Poirier was rightfully like a slight favorite, but I, I just couldn't get, I obviously didn't want to lay any chalk here in this one because you lay chalk against Oliver and you get burned. That's just the way it works. Um, and I did kind of want to see Charles win just as a fan as well, but yeah, really good fight, man. It definitely delivered for the last pay-per-view of the year and uh, you know, made money on it. So I, I can't complain. It was a really good fight and uh, yeah, it was awesome. Awesome event. Awesome way to cap off the year. Yeah, I was completely content. Uh, you know, me and Liam did a video last weekend, and I I said, you know, uh, I can't call who wins, and I picked on my tapology before. And I'm a massive, massive fan as a fighter, as a person, just in general. But he. Uh, you know, you like I said, and watch. We, we might never get at that kind of price that we got tonight on uh, Charles Oliveira. Uh, so yeah, Liam, uh, what did you have? What did you think about this one? Yeah, man, this was the uh, you know John Anik likes to say the fight around which the uh, or excuse me the athlete around which the fight card was built, 
And for me, the uh, the athlete around which my betting slate was built tonight uh, was Charles Oliveira. Uh, biggest bet of the card for me, 2.5 units on the money line, Charles Oliveira uh, at plus 140 and plus 145, respectively. Um, so was able to beat some closing lines there. Additionally, uh, locked in one unit on the inside the distance at plus 210. Uh, also beat some closing line there and... Charles Oliveira by sub, uh, plus 310. Only regret was that I didn't go deeper on this play. I, I kind of thought that, you know, Charles might knock him out here. Um, and I thought that he was going to be committed to trying to do so. You know, so I was a little bit scared. But the fight kind of played out similar to my expectations. I thought that basically the game script was going to be exactly what happened on a little bit faster of a timetable. You know, I thought Charles was going to get the sub with the rear naked choke in round two ends up having to fight his way into the third round. But I thought that Charles uh, rounds one, two, three on the prop market was good as well. I thought that that was a lot of where his win condition was tied up. You know, I still think it's possible Poirier could have worked his way into that fight uh, and even snuck out a win, you know, if he was able to survive till round four, kind of like in the hooker fight where he wins, um, you know, the late rounds to come back. I feel like that was on the table here. Uh, but Charles is just too dangerous, man. And he had more paths to win this fight. Um, he's more dangerous in every position. Uh, it, in fact, if you look at their careers historically, it's Charles Oliveira who's who's gotten more knockdowns um, for, for strikes landed than Dustin Poirier, in fact. So it's like this guy in, in every way is lethal. Um, and I just, I've always rated his submission grappling as uh, being one of the most underlooked uh, tools in the sport, you know, and I went back, uh, my analysis said the same thing. This guy has been at, at crazy plus money tags to win inside the distance to win by submission. And most recently his KO lines have been like plus 900 plus 800 plus 650, whatever it is. And he's cashing them at those ridiculous plus numbers as well. So this guy has just been a prop better's dream. Um, I think that fight doesn't go the distance. One of the best bets on the card here. Uh, I was very grateful. You know, I, I cashed a parlay tonight um, on fights not to go the distance. It was only a quarter unit shot or uh, excuse me, maybe a half unit shot. Um, and it was Nunez uh, and Pena, Charles and Dustin, uh, Priscilla and Jillian and Bruno and Jordan, right? Uh, all those fights not to go the distance. Uh, and so that was 0.5 units paid out at plus 240. Um, and I just thought that as parlay pieces this week, fights not to go in the main and co-main were like no-brainers for me. Uh, I also thought that Bruno Silva by KO, you know, the odds makers were too hip to it. So you just got to look for um, parlay pieces or like I did, I, I played some Bruno um, rounds one and two. So I, I felt like the way to target this fight was from a prop perspective, largely speaking. I felt like both fighters most likely path to win was inside the distance here. Um, and oh, yeah. I thought that it was Poirier who would probably take over late based on cardio considerations if it was to make it there. But I really felt like both these guys, natural finishers, and they get finished when they lose. So just struck me as a, as a fight doesn't go um, pretty clearly. Yeah, uh, as far as... You know, as far as Oliveira goes, uh, I'm just trying to pull up the tweet here. Um, I tweeted it out. He's just been an absolute monster. A uh, hundred dollar better who is back to Bronx on the inside to dis on the inside the distance prop across his last ten fights. 
eight hundred and twenty eight dollars. Uh, you're up, and then I I I don't have the number in front of me, but if I I remember, oh yeah, I do have it. A hundred dollar better who's backed Oliveira on the inside the distance prop over the last ten years, dating back to two thousand and twelve, is up eleven hundred and eighty five dollars with something ridiculous like an eighteen and I think it was like eighteen and. Now it's 19 and five or something like that, or 19 and four. Crazy. Just, you know, when he wins, he wins by stoppage, except for when he, <laughs> you know, when he annihilates Tony Ferguson, uh, when he 30 26 uh, Tony Ferguson. But yeah, um, uh, what I'll say about this fight, I thought Dustin looked to be hitting him hard really early, but it looked a lot worse than it was. And uh, the broadcast, made a very rare good point uh about the optics uh the way that it it looks way worse when Oliveira gets hurt uh but when Oliveira hits Poirier it's not exactly the same Poirier absorbs damage a lot better as far as you know through the eyes of the judges now with that said if there was ever a question about Charles Oliveira's chin he answered it by going toe to toe with you know, Dustin Poirier, something that Conor McGregor really couldn't do. Uh, Oliveira is really good at utilizing elbows and knees in close to get out of danger when Poirier was, you know, starting to close in in the pocket and Poirier was landing big, but Charles was kind of just leaning on going to those knees, that jumping knee and those swinging elbows. Uh, and then Poirier is a really good closer but Charles was just doing a really good job of clogging up the lanes and answering back. And uh, it seemed like it was all Dustin after one, but Oliveira did a really good job of just answering back in the second round. Uh, I don't know what was up with that. Uh, I don't know what was up with that close guard uh, in the second round while Oliveira was just slashing him with elbows. It seemed like, you know, uh, Poirier talked about it in the post fight. He said he didn't want to take a chance of getting caught trying to get back up. Uh, so he was just sitting in the close guard. I don't know if that was a good call. Uh, and then I feel like the fight really started to turn at that point. And Poirier was just sitting in guard, uh, closed with the, the that leg tri triangle. And I don't understand. Um, I, I just don't understand what that was about. And, uh, yeah, just an unbelievable bounce-back win for Oliveira. Uh, I know he did it in the third round, but I feel like he kind of turned around in the second round. And um, just th these second rounds, he's had now this great second round against Poirier, great second round against Chandler. The, you know, the he absolutely annihilated Tony Ferguson. It feels like this guy has gone, like, uh, yeah, as far as points goes, 50-44, in his last five second rounds. Um, last thing I'll say, but before I throw it to you guys, it's almost as if Oliveira is walking into the fire now intentionally just to show people, just to show his doubters, uh, the ones that question him, if he could take a punch or if he would wilt under pressure, uh, if, if, you know, to show them that they're wrong and he loves walking into the fire. And I since, uh, I feel like since he's made that choice to walk into the fire, he's that's when it's changed. Kind of like uh, with that Kevin Lee fight, it, it kind of he he changed when he decided like I can take these punches, and uh, that just brings me to my next point. I'll get your opinion on it. Um, it's super intriguing. Uh, 
you know, we saw Oliveira was able to last against Chandler. We saw what Gaethje was able to do to Chandler, but not put him away. That makes for an interesting narrative. Uh, I'll put you guys on the spot with uh, Lucky Locks first. Uh, who do you got uh, first take on Oliveira versus Chandler? Or sorry, Oliveira versus Gaethje. Um, I got to go Oliveira there. I mean, the thing about Gaethje, I mean, you brought it up. I mean, Gaethje had three rounds with Chandler, couldn't put him away, and uh, Oliveira iced him in the second round early. So not that that uh, is necessarily indicative of, of success in the next fight, but I mean, I know it was it's it's a Habib, right? When we're talking about Gaethje and the grappling thing, but he really just didn't look good down there. And uh, I just feel like he's gonna get hit hard again early like this. But like I said, man, Charles get he get, gets at least one, at least once a fight, he gets a really dangerous position where he's really good. And I feel less confident in Gaethje being able to get out of it than I did with Dustin Poirier. So I feel like if Charles just gets that one uh, that one back take or or maybe he gets mount at some point. I just feel like it's going to be over. And uh, I, th I think Charles probably finishes Gaethje too. That would be my lean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Liam, what do you think? Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to rotogrinders.com. I'm going to take the preview article that I wrote for this one. I'm going to hit copy and then I'm going to hit paste. And then I'm going to bet all the same units on Charles Oliveira. If he's an underdog, we're going fucking sizzler boys, because Justin Gaethje for all the great things that he does, he can win that fight. Um, but he's a very big public darling. Um, and I, I was not impressed by his grappling in the Khabib fight. Um, I could, I could leave it there to, to be mild. Um, I, I think that Charles is levels above him on the, the grappling front. And I think that the reason Chandler had difficulties um, grappling to success with Justin Gaethje is because he was already, um, you know, compromised. He doesn't have the right body type for it. Uh, and he has a very traditional American style of wrestling, um, which is the same case for Justin Gaethje. I, I think that the, the grappling transitions we saw tonight out of Oliveira are exactly what he will need to do. Uh, taking the back is critical, but I do think that Gaethje is going to find himself flummoxed by what to do. Uh, he's very comfortable, very adept, student of the striking game i think he's just going to get exposed by somebody who's a world-class grappler in charles Oliver. yeah that's an that's another fight that there is not a chance in reality that that fight goes the distance there is no way that Oliver gaethje goes the distance someone is getting finished in that one uh you know i i feel like uh Oliver Oliver versus habib you know, if you know, if the MMA gods could bless us, there is still a very slight chance, a one percent chance that that could still happen. Uh, but it won't. It likely won't. Uh, but yeah, Oliveira Gaethje will go exactly like Habib Gaethje went, in my opinion. Uh, I feel like, though, with that said, I feel like Oliveira is a better striker than Habib, and. Gaethje had a lot of success beating up Habib's leg in that fight. That won't happen. Uh, yeah, I, I got to go with Gaethje. Uh, sorry, I got to go with Oliveira. And I will be absolutely stunned. And I'll be pleasantly stunned if Oliveira comes in as the underdog in that matchup. Because is he just going to be the underdog in every fight as the 
champion. <laughs> like I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Al Mac, from your lips to God's ears, brother. Let's keep doing it. Do it again, guys. Uh, get let's get another narrative about how he, he's going to quit in the next one, uh, or he got hurt in this one, so he's going to die in the next one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one more thing before we move on to the look ahead, I just want to get your opinion, Liam, because you got you know credentials in this. Uh, first of all. I didn't uh, – they mentioned the thing about pulling his glove. Uh, Poirier said that he didn't feel Oliveira pulling his glove. Uh, Lucky Locks, did you did you see anything with that? Did you think that he was – Oliveira was pulling Poirier's glove? I mean, I heard them talking about that, but uh, I, I didn't notice it really when I was watching live. I mean, maybe if I watched it back and, and really paid attention, I would have seen. But, uh, yeah, it didn't really come to my attention when I was watching the fight live. Liam, what did you think? I also did not see this uh, while I was watching live. Uh, also, you know, it was kind of a blessing in disguise. I didn't have the commentary um, you know, very loudly available to me, so oh, I yeah. could make my True. own impressions of these fights. So, yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually see that. Uh, I'll go back and revisit it. You know, uh, if he did, it's a dirty, rotten cage fight, guys. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody got eye gouged uh, earlier in the night. You know, <laughs> people aren't here to make friends and uh, warm people's feelings. You know. Yeah, and like typical Dustin Poirier, he was just like, no, I didn't feel it. Like he just straight up denied that he would have done it. Uh, uh, one other thing I wanted to ask your opinion, Liam, before we move on. What was up? Uh, you know, you're able to speak on this better than I am. What do you think was up with Poirier sticking in, you know, sitting in guard uh, with Oliveira in the second round? Yeah, that was a pre-fight decision, in my opinion, from the camp, um, which is a shame uh, on them, honestly. Uh, I don't think that's a great strategy, but I think they just know their guy. Um, Dustin gets discouraged when he encounters failure, uh, like in the octagon. And I don't mean like adversity, right? He's fine with, I hit you, you hit me. It's when he can't get things going. It's when he starts to experience like real noticeable failure. I try and get out. I can't, I try and do this. I can't. He, you could see it like drain the enthusiasm from his face. And I thought that the Khabib fight was a perfect analog for what we would see here. And to avoid that, their strategy was we get put in a bad spot. We do nothing. We, we concede the round. And the problem is any momentum that he had in round one, he completely let it like the air out of a bag, just gone, uh, lost all his momentum and let Charles get a lot of it. So then Charles is like a, a house on fire coming out in round three. Like I just, you know, was easily able to take this guy down and work from his guard. I told people in the advance of this fight, you know, I thought Charles was going to win the fight inside the distance. I thought he'd win it early. I thought he'd win it by submission. But I said, it's not outside the realm that Charles wins this fight by decision. And I thought everybody else was saying so. But it's because I saw the Tony Ferguson performance where he just soundly outgrappled a guy who's supposed to be a decent enough wrestler and move from control position to control position effortlessly. I thought here it was going to, he was going to encounter more resistance, right? I thought Poirier was going to make him work, try and get back to his feet. And yeah. then if Charles then didn't have the ability to hold on to him, then he might be fucked. But it, instead he decides I'll, I'll do nothing. Okay. Well, that was a bad strategy and that was borne out pretty clearly, you know, it gets dominated. I thought it was a 10, eight round. Um, you know, may, maybe I'm wrong on that, but again, I was watching live round two biased as shit with Charles tickets in my pockets going, this guy didn't do anything the whole round. He just got his face beat in from the bottom position. Like 
Uh, I didn't see much resistance at all or anything constituting meaningful offense from Dustin in that round until a couple of elbows from his back with like 10 seconds left. I was like, not enough, not enough. Uh, just baffling, baffling, bad decision. Yeah, it was very perplexing. Like someone, you know, who I think is one of the best fighters, one of the best lightweights of all time, in my opinion. It was just like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, Locks, any final thoughts on the main event before we move on? Yeah, I think we pretty much uh, covered all the angles. Um, yeah. I just would say yeah, awesome fight, awesome last pay-per-view of the year. And uh, it was the, the main event was good to a lot of people betting wise. So can't, can't complain. Yeah. So uh, really quickly, we'll, we'll hit these last, uh, these two fights in the look ahead. Uh, we'll, we'll get through them quickly. So we're not here for another, uh, another hour. So Francis Naganu taking on Cyril gone. Uh, for the UFC heavyweight, actually, it's for it's champion versus champion. Uh, Cyril Gaon is the interim heavyweight champion taking on Francis Naganu. Uh, yeah, interesting fight. Uh, Lucky Locks, give me your initial take on this fight. I've gone back and forth on this one so many times, man. When you told me you were going to talk about this one, I was like, ah, they're going to make me say something out loud here, but uh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm really, really, really looking forward to this one, actually. Um, as soon as this got announced, I was super pumped to see this. Um, and I mean, Cyril Gaon is like, it's pretty much a pick but I feel like Gaon is slightly favored, I want to say, in a lot of places. I haven't looked at the line, you know, just recently. You but, can, uh, sorry, yeah. You, back and forth. You can get pretty much plus money on both sides right now. Yeah, so, I mean... If you are able to get plus money on Francis Ngannou, it kind of feels wrong to do so. But I mean, I'm hard pressed to uh, to go against Gon in this spot just because. I mean, he he lands more strikes. He's more accurate. He I feel like his striking defense is a little bit better. I feel like he's a little more mobile. Um, and obviously, I mean, Francis could just come out here and wax this guy. But I keep going back to like, if he doesn't do that, like, is is he going to be able to beat Gon down the stretch in the fight? And basically, that's kind of where my lean comes in. I'm not looking to lay chalk on either side here. Um, if I am going to bet zero gone, I would probably be targeting maybe that like four or five decision prop. Um, I feel like this is one where if it does get into those rounds, it's definitely going to favor gone. But I mean, we've been seeing really good improvements out of Nganu. I mean, last fight against Stipe, I thought he looked great. I thought he looked much improved. Um, so I just think this is going to be a banger fight. I got to slightly go... Uh, with Cyril gone in this one, though, for my initial lean. Yeah, I agree. So the way that I see it right now, Cyril gone is sitting at plus a hundred at FanDuel, and he's sitting. And Francis Naganu is sitting at minus one hundred two at uh, Bet Online. So you can almost get plus money on both sides. Uh, Liam, what do you think about this fight? Yeah, man, um, this is a tricky fight. As far as I'm concerned, I think that. You know, Francis has been good to me um, historically, right? Um, I, I feel like I, I've done a decent enough job getting on and getting off the train at the right time. I uh, had a small Stipe bet the first time, had a small Francis bet the second time, um, and had some Francis round one and two action as well there. So, man, this is uh, this is a little different, though. You know, I think that it's one thing to beat an aging Stipe, whom I love and have great respect for. Ohio stand up. 
But I think that this is, you know, a different kind of challenge. Surreal Gan knows Francis in and out, trained together for years. Important factor in my view. Um, it's one thing, like, you know, we talked about it. It's the intimidation factor. It's the mythos that goes into a, um, you know, a, a dominant champion like Amanda Nunes that shakes her opponents before she gets in there. Uh, it's the dominating, scary power of Francis Ngannou. When you slip on a banana peel and one punch changes everything at heavyweight, uh, that is the reason why so many guys are broken before they get in there. They're shaking on, in the back, hearing this guy hit the pads. And for better or for worse, you know, Surreal Gan looks cool as a cucumber every time he steps in the cage. He's like, oh, happy to be here, whatever. Just, I guess I got to beat this guy up now. And then just casually drop somebody a million shots from the outside without getting touched. And you're like, did that just happen? Um, you know, I bet him against Derek Lewis, uh, bet him inside the distance there, regret not going bigger in retrospect. Um, and, you know, I, I just think this guy has got a lot of upside, a lot to like, less people aware of him at this point. I think there's a reason um, that he's not coming in as the favorite here outright, which is that, um, you know, people want to put some respect on the power of Francis here after, you know, last time he shut everybody up. I will just say, I thought that Stipe had like, you know, very credible moments against Francis in both fights. Um, but in the second fight, he looked too small to make things happen, you know, and his wrestling was very ineffective, like just couldn't get anything physically going against this guy. I think Gon mm -hmm. is going to be, you know, able to match him a little bit physically, uh, if not in the power department, uh, in the grappling. And there's a grappling path for Surreal Gon that I don't think people are talking about here. Uh, he could hop on the back and submit this guy. You know, Francis has obviously been working um, in the United States, so I'm sure he's improving at a pretty fast pace. But he's like 34, 35. I'd have to double, you know, don't kill me if I got that wrong. Maybe he's 33. He's not a young man by any means. You know, Surreal Gan is a little younger, I believe. So Gan, I think that improvements here. Naganu is, I believe, 37. <laughs> yeah, Remember? Liam, shoot yourself in the foot. I thought I was going too old. Yeah, he's freaking older than, than dirt. Is he, you know? is he actually it, 37 years old? I believe so, yeah. Because remember oh, we yeah. said like, we, we oh. said last week that Francis Nagano is older than Jose Aldo. Dude, holy shit. What? You're blowing my mind right now. I actually don't know how, but I did not know that. 35, it says on Wikipedia, yeah. September 5th, 1986. Jesus. Okay, there you go. He's still older than Aldo, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got to be honest, man. That FanDuel plus 100 is looking a little appealing. I, ho I hope that people don't uh, – Beat me to the punch here, like they did on Kaikara France last week. But I, I'm, I'm keep my eye on that. Yeah, I'll say this, and I feel like this is the way that I normally break down fights. So this is kind of just like showing you how the sausage is made, type thing. So Francis Nagano, he's 11 and two since coming into the UFC. He's turned 6.9 units. If you flat bet him on the money line in that stretch, he's turned. Uh, all 11 of his wins inside the distance. He's turned nine units profit on the inside the distance prop uh, with an 11 and two record. However, those two losses are both by decision. You've made more money betting with just two wins and 11 losses. You've made more money betting against Francis Nagano every single one of his fights to win by decision on his opponent 
to win by decision than you would have if you bet every single one of his fights on the inside the distance prop. 9.5 units because Derek Lewis and Stipe have... You look at Cyril Gaon, he's 7-0 and in the UFC since coming in in 2019. Three of those seven wins are by decision. Six of Cyril Gaon's seven wins, uh, six of his seven fights have gone over the betting total. Uh, Francis Nagano, I don't think he has a chance of winning this fight by decision. Cyril Gaon has a chance of winning this fight either by decision or inside the distance. So I think Cyril Gaon is the is the bet to make. And if you want to get creative, and every time I say to do something like this, it's incorrect. But if you want to do something like this, you could do it. Naganu inside the distance right now is like plus 115. You know, you can get if if Gone ends up staying at plus money, you know, you can get Francis Naganu inside the distance at plus 115. Cyril Gone at plus money if you wanted to, you know, have some action on this fight and win either way. But uh, yeah, I think I think Gone wins this fight. Uh, any uh, final thoughts on this one before we move to the co-main, uh, Lucky Locks? No, yeah, I think we pretty much covered it. I think uh, between the three of us, we pretty much covered all the bases. All right, so the co-main event, and I got to say, this is this is a super treat and just a really intriguing matchup uh, that we get to see now for the third time. Brendan Moreno defends his UFC men's light flyweight championship against davison figueredo uh liam i'll let you uh go ahead with this one do you have any thoughts on this fight yeah yeah i do as a matter of fact um you know this isn't a fight i've looked into in depth and yeah so it's it's potential that i'll change my mind a little bit as we get closer to fight time but you know last time the outcome sort of swayed my opinion on this fight um I was a Figueredo believer and I felt like the holes in his game have, have been exposed a little bit by, by Moreno. I think Moreno has got better pace. I think he's got better cardio. I think he's a better grappler. Um, I think he's a better scrambler in the wrestling. And if you match better scrambling with pace and cardio, that means you can extend the, the scrambles for longer. So if you're doing poorly in the scramble, no problem. Just keep it going. Keep it going. Uh, and I think that the longer he's able to do that, the more Figgy is going to gas. That being said, you know, wholesale lifestyle changes from Figueredo here. Moved camp, uh, training with Henry Cejudo, probably on a gang of designer steroids. Uh, and I appreciate that about him. Uh, that's probably going to be a factor in the fight. I just think he's too big for the weight. You know, I think it's kind of like um, a Cody Garbrandt situation here, I think he's going to feel the impact of Moreno's strikes. I think in addition, Moreno's fast. He's getting better. Um, you know, he's got a lot of big opportunities ahead of him. If he can close this chapter of his career and put Figueredo in the the, the past. And uh, I think Figueredo still has life uh, at the bantamweight division after he loses this fight. I just think, you know, he's kind of making a mistake here and being bullheaded about wanting this rematch. Um, you know, Ask and you shall receive. I think he's going to get beat by Brandon Moreno inside the distance once again. Uh, and if not, I think Brandon Moreno still can outpoint him to a decision here, as he proved in the first fight, uh, keeping it close. Locks, what do you think about this one? Yeah, this is an interesting fight. And, I mean, I should disclose that, uh, 
you know, I'm not a big fan of too many fighters, but I am a Davison Figueredo fan. You know, I like the guy. Um, I felt like he won the first fight. I mean, I'm not the only Figueredo fan that, you know, I'm a fan. Of course, I'm going to say that. Yeah. Um, uh, some people agree with me. Some people don't. It is what it is. It was definitely close. Um, but I did feel like you won. And I didn't play him in the second fight, though, because there's just something about it that just gave me a bit of a funny feeling. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, Figueredo looked not like himself at all in that fight. And I was just kind of like, you know, what the hell was that? I didn't have any money on it. And that just that performance makes me really nervous about playing him again. And I'm not honestly sold on Brandon Moreno. I feel like I might even take Pantoja to beat him, which he already has. Um, I might take Askarov to beat him if they were to make that fight. Um, but it's more just like, I mean, like Liam said, he figured out huge for this weight. And I mean, if that's what he's going to look like after uh, this cut, what he looked like last time, I mean, I'm not confident in betting him at all. And I feel like uh, I would probably have to go with Moreno for an early prediction here be hoping for Davison of course but yeah I mean his time at 125 just might be done because I I mean what the hell was that last time it didn't look like him at all I don't know who that was but didn't look like Davison to me I feel like on his best day uh, he definitely could beat Moreno and uh, I feel like on his best day he, he could beat anybody but it just doesn't look like we're gonna get too many of those good days at the 125 pound division anymore for Davison so that is kind of pushing me over to the Moreno side. It's not really that I like Moreno that much. It's just that I'm just, I don't know how much life Davison has left at 125. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, I got a lot to say here. Um, I was, uh, you know, going back to even before this channel with uh, odds.com. Uh, and even before that, like from the very beginning of Davison Figueredo getting into the UFC, I was a huge believer of this guy. And at one point when he first picked up the belt, uh, you know, when he uh, when he picked up the belt this, uh, with the win the second time over Benavidez, I feel like at that point he, he was the best flyweight on earth. And I think that that includes uh, uh, Adriano Marias over at one championship. And I thought... Somebody like uh, you know Horiguchi coming down to flyweight or any of those guys. I thought Ryzen one championship, whatever. Anybody who can get to down to one twenty five, I thought he was the best guy. I thought that he won the first fight against Brandon Moreno. Um, and then the thing was, uh, you know, I thought when the the second fight when the odds came out, I was very confused because I was like. You know how is he such a still such a big favorite um, when the fight was so close? And I know that there was the narrative of well, he was sick and he you know he had a hard time cutting weight. And my reply then was, well, how do we know that it's not going to happen again? And it almost did happen again. Figueredo had to take the extra like thirty minutes to uh, to make weight uh, when they met the last time. So I'll say it again. How do we know that he's not going to have issues cutting weight again? And I know that he's had uh, a ton of lifestyle changes and moving to a different camp and stuff like that, you know. But he's still, he's still, he's still Devison Figueredo. He's not going to. It doesn't matter if you change your camp. You can't change your body. And that dude probably walks around at like 175 pounds and cuts down to 125 and he is absolutely jacked he could probably fight at featherweight if he wanted to if he wasn't so short um 
and yeah i don't it's it's tough and now it's it's so interesting this fight really also it reminds me i made the comparison earlier it reminds me of um even with the draw it reminds me of of uh, wilder and fury because the first fight figueredo comes in as a big big like minus 290 favorite they draw they go again to the rematch figueredo's a big favorite again moreno wins and now it's completely flipped in the trilogy fight with Moreno now a minus 165 favorite and Devison Figueredo now the underdog. Um, I got to say, it's tough to bet against my guy, Devison Figueredo, um, especially at plus money. This might almost be a pass for me because unless I can get Moreno, uh, it's hard. To, uh, I don't know. I have to break this one down a little bit more because I. I want to bet Moreno inside the distance, but I wouldn't be shocked if this one was much more similar to the first fight where it was just a, a, a drag out war that went five rounds. That is on the, the assumption that Figueredo is going to look healthy and be able to make weight and, you know, not have food poisoning or, you know, dehydration poisoning or something like that. This is a type of fight where you have to look at the uh, weigh-in. You have to look at fight week. You have to look at uh, the you know the you have to look at the 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 factors outside of the cage. You got to look at these all these non tangible factors in this fight because it's hard you know a month out to have a staunch opinion because so much can change, especially with these flyweights. Uh, yeah, I, I love the guy. I think Figueredo at one point was one of the best flyweights on earth, if not the best flyweight on earth. But this might be the the downward spiral, and uh, it's 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 hard to pass on him at plus money. But I would hate to do that and him just get starched again. Uh, so yeah, that's that's how I feel about that one. Um, Liam, any final thoughts about that one? Yeah, I just feel like from a confidence standpoint, you know, it's it's going all the wrong way for for Figueredo here. You know, the first time they have a draw, it's close enough. You know, you can make an excuse. There's a there's a this and a that going into it, and so they come out for a clean rematch. That's the idea. And Moreno has a lot more confidence. It looked like than the first fight, and he shows up, performs admirably, uh, able to get the finish victory. What, or is he going to be less confident now? Like he's going to be much more confident now. Uh, he knows he could beat him. He knows he can go 25 minutes with him. He knows he's not afraid of the power like everybody else is. Uh, and so unless he gets hurt by a big shot, um, I feel like this is going to be a fight where, where Moreno is able to take it over as the fight goes on. You know, Figgy, when he's at his best, is throwing a lot of like committed, heavy, high impact offensive maneuvers that – tax the body of energy. Uh, and I think especially making all the lifestyle changes and everything to uh, with Henry Cejudo and those guys, I feel like the only way they can do that to change his body is going to have to dig into some of that muscle, going to have to dig into some of that power base. And then what are we left with? Are we going to turn him into a volume guy? Or we get, It's possible that he could still land that big cracking power shot. I'd want to see it to believe it. You know, he's looking like uh, – 88% of himself right now. If you look at his Instagram, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy, man. He, he looks like a different person um, physically. So that could be a good thing. It's just like, uh, I kind of want to see it. He looks very thin 
you know, I'm worried about one of these effing leg breaks, man. Like, honestly, um, just looks like, like it looks a little unnatural, man. Yeah, the thing the thing that he did so well, Figueredo, was it was the threat of his power. Like if you go and look at the Benavides fight, he doesn't even he hits him once and then he just starts walking forward and Benavides is just retreating and and Figueredo is just coming forward and it's the threat of the power that uh is so much more of an offensive tool. Moreno's now felt that power for uh you know more than two two separate fights you know a full five round fight and then the fight that he won he's felt that power so unless something has changed uh, i would say advantage moreno there and then if he's if figueredo is doing something to change uh to take away a little bit of that power then i still i gotta go more advantage moreno uh locks do you have anything to add yeah, I mean, just to tie it up, I mean, there's just a lot of question marks around Davis and Figueroa coming into this one. I feel like we kind of know what Brandon Moreno is going to look like. You know, like Liam said, he is going to be confident. He is going to come out there and know that he can compete and that he can win. And uh, Davis and Figueroa, I mean, he looked pretty good in the first fight when he was sick. He should have got sick again for the second fight because he looked horrible in it. And if he looks like that again and I have money on him, like I am not going to forgive myself. So this is more than likely going to be a pass for me because... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's just too many question marks for me. And maybe once we get closer to fight now, I'll have a better read. But right now, it's just like, I believe Davison is better on his best day, but I just don't know if we're going to see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, again, I stand by it. And I've said this the past, I said the, this the last time that they fought. Um, this is, you cannot bet this fight like on, on a look ahead. <laughs> so I'm going to advocating for everybody that's watching this video for doing exactly that. You can't do that. You have to watch fight. You have to, you know, and I never like to watch fight interviews, like uh, media interviews, at least, you know, I like to watch them for content purposes, but not for my betting purposes. I don't take in anything that a fighter says during fight week, but how they look, you know how they sound you know just their their mindset that that's different and with figueredo in this fight i think you got to look at how he looks on wednesday media day thursday press conference and uh the the weigh-ins on friday because i feel like that helped me last time because that's what got me off figueredo in the rematch and on moreno um but i'll say this just to close on this because the perfect thing to happen here this is my opinion Figueredo loses, moves up to bantamweight, and fights Cody Garbrandt at 135 pounds. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> Liam. I know who I'd be betting in that fight, and it's not Cody Garbrandt. Yeah. yeah, I think that that's a pretty solid matchup. Locks, what do you think? Dude, I'd love to see that fight. I mean, they're obviously we're talking about doing. Did it get booked and then Cody got COVID, or were they just talking about it and then he got? Oh it? yeah, I completely forgot about yeah. that. I was, I really wanted to see it, man, uh, and I'd love to see it now because I feel like my guy Davison would probably be able to get it done. So uh, I'd, I'd like to see that one for sure, and I'd probably, probably pick Figueroa more of a fade on Garbrandt, but uh, I don't know. Both guys haven't looked great recently, so who knows yeah. what could happen? But yeah, I'd probably lean towards Davison there. Healthier the, weight cut. the problem is, is they're they're both cutting. Well, I mean, at least with Cody now recently and Figueredo the whole time. Although I do feel like Figueredo has fought. Uh, I don't know if he's fought at 135 before. I know that he's fought at 125 and missed weight by like four and a half pounds. So 
almost 135, but not quite. Uh, but yeah, I feel like I, I, I feel like Figueredo is the type of guy where he's wasting his career fighting at 125 now because I feel like if he moves up to 135, as long as it's matchup specific and isn't fighting a six foot guy like uh, Sean O'Malley, he could have a, a lot of success because. I, I feel like his power is going to move up. <laughs> like I said, he's probably walking around 175 pounds. Um, but anyways, that is, uh, we actually, you know, we got a solid, what, that's a month, a solid month away. Um, so that'll be, that'll be fun to look forward to. We got a couple of uh, events beforehand. We got one more next week, which is uh, uh, Derek Lewis and Chris Dalkus. uh which is going to be basically the precursor for uh, Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley next Saturday, which should be just a complete freak show. Um, but yeah, we'll be here. I'll be here. And uh, thank you, you guys, Liam, uh, Lucky Locks Picks. Follow them on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. There's the handles there. Please like and subscribe the video. Subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to these gentlemen's channels. The the links are in the description. Hit up combatodds.ca. I got the results for this event, and we'll be wrapping up 2021 with all the betting trends for uh, UFC for 2021. All right, guys. Uh, any parting words before we take off uh, for this UFC 269 post-show? Liam. Uh, absolutely. Just want to say thank you very much, Al. Had a great time. Uh, you know, I always talk about the fact that I'm fired up when I watch these fights. I, I'm not in a rush to go to bed uh, either way. So always like coming on here, shooting the breeze, talking about these fights, giving a little bit of a look ahead as well. So I'm excited about the upcoming matchups. I'm still fired up about all the great action I just took in. And I'm excited to get right back to work. That's the motto for me. Uh, if you ever are interested in my work, I write preview articles for Roto Grinders. That's two weeks in a row. We hit the main event underdog um, with with the receipts for why I thought it was going to happen. Uh, did call Charles Oliveira by sub, so proud of that. Uh, picks for me uh, on a premium basis are done at scores and odds. I also give away my plays for free on YouTube. Uh, and I also talk about my bets right before fight time on Twitter at Liam Picks Fight. So you can find me on all platforms uh, trying to give out good and free information, trying to give out uh, winning plays, and also trying to bring on smart people to my show to share their information as well to try and make you a smarter, better. So hope everybody had a good time uh, with this conversation tonight. I know I certainly did, and I'm always learning from these conversations. So appreciate you two smart gentlemen and uh, look forward to speaking with you guys in the future. Awesome. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate it. You know, it's 438 Eastern time in the morning right now. And I know that it's even later for uh, locks. So I appreciate you guys uh, coming on. Uh, Lucky locks, any parting words before we get out of here? Yeah, man, 538 out here on uh, in beautiful Nova Scotia on this fine morning. So uh, couldn't have uh, couldn't ask for a better, better two gentlemen to share it with. Uh, really enjoyed my time being on here. Lots of great fights to discuss. And uh yeah, as always, man, it's a pleasure to be on, and and I'm always happy to get on here and, and talk some fights. All right, well, the pleasure is all mine, and uh, I'm not exactly sure what the deal is for uh, next Saturday, but uh, at some point, there will be a show on YouTube uh, in between Saturday night and Sunday morning, breaking down the freak show fight 
of uh, Woodley Paul too, as well as the UFC Vegas 45. So, um, yeah, basically that's it. Thank you very much for coming along. Uh, super fun. And, uh, yeah, I'm honestly not going to be able to sleep after that. I'm going to probably go back and watch the fights again like I normally do while uh, putting in some work. So, yeah, going to ingest some content into this nice Sunday morning. Again, thank you, Liam. Thank you, Locks. Uh, very much appreciated. Uh, hit them up on Twitter, social media, YouTube. And, yeah, I'll see you again next Saturday. Talk to you later, guys.